You are listening to episode 272 of the Game Players Podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we bring it back in the best way in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we're talking about uh, Spyro, the reignited trilogy on the PlayStation 4 is what I played mine on. Same. Uh, I'm assuming you played yours on the terrible, terrible Xbox. I'm just kidding. Uh, but we played Spyro 1 out of that trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk about that in our inflation deflation segment for the week. Uh, but first, you can find the Game Deflators podcast on thegamedeflators.com, our currently up-to-date website. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, you can find us on YouTube music. You can find us on all the podcast applications that are out there. And if we're not on there, let us know, leave us a five-star review, like subscribe, all that good stuff. And then of course we're on social media at game deflators on X at the game deflators on Instagram, Facebook, and threads. Did I miss anything? I don't think no, I, I think you got it all. I got it. All, all right. So let's talk, uh, pickups. So I've got a few actually. Gaming pickups, gaming pickups, actually, which is surprising. So uh, Silent Hill Short Messages, I did download that. It's a free copy uh, that you can pick up. It's like a two hour game for Silent Hill. Uh, It is currently free on the PlayStation 5. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that in our news, actually. So I haven't played it, but I'm counting it as a pickup because it is technically a new game and it's in my, you know, list of games that I can play. Uh, I also just picked up off eBay. So I'd had my eye on Wolong Fallen Dynasty for the longest time. Mm -hmm. I'd been sitting at like 60 bucks, 55 bucks forever. And then I just picked up a copy on eBay, like like new condition for $25. Nice. So yeah, I'm super stoked about that. Um, Can't wait to play that one. And the last thing I got here is magic cards because, you know, I'm always playing with magic cards. Um, So I actually picked up, I think I told you I picked up a Gilded Drake off the reserve list. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's normally like I don't know, like a hundred like right now it's about $189, $190 for that card. Uh, but I had some store credit uh from TCG and things that I had been selling. So like I sold my shield dread, I sold um some triumphant horde cards, a bunch of commons and uncommons I've had, and uh calculated it all out to be about $130. And so I said, All right, cool, let me go ahead and get this reserve list card. And it was actually a damage card. Uh, but I called up the location advance, said, hey, you know, I'm looking at this card on TCG. It's damaged. I want to make sure, like, is this sleep playable? What's the damage? You know, can you let me know? And they told me, they said, here's what it is. It looks great. Sleep playable. So when you pick it up, you'll be more than happy. So I picked it up. And I think total out of pocket for me was like 22 bucks for it. How bad does it have to be to be not sleep playable? Um, So not sleep playable would typically be... Like, is it crumpled in half? And like, you know how Sergio, when we were playing draft the other day, how he kind of crumpled that card, like folded it like that. Like if it was damaged to that extent to where it's like things bulging or if it's like, you know, torn in several corners and you have the ability to like feel that particular card as you're shuffling and know like, oh yeah, that's my card. Like there's ways to be able to indicate even if it's sleeved. Just anything that's going to give you 
a no or a tell. Yeah, anything along those lines is okay. general. Like if it has like bumps all over the back and everything. I mean, even bumps in the back are kind of like you wouldn't probably know depending on the sleeves you're using. Um, like this one, the guy said it had like a small indentation on the back and like some scratches or something in the front. That's not something that's going to tell like be an indicator for me and not sleep playable. So, you know, I'll trust fair judgment and worst case scenario, you know, I, I reach back out and I'm like, Hey, you know, it's really bad condition. It definitely doesn't meet what you said and kind of get my money back from that point. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where things stand with that. And, uh, I'm pretty excited. Um, I'm trying to pick up as much reserve list stuff as I can. And I think, I don't know if you'd overheard me, but the city of brass I picked up a while back. Mm -hmm. So I got a heavy played copy with credit card, reward money that I'd picked up and it was like 220 for the city or not city brass. Sorry. It was 220 for city of traders. And, um, since I got that, it's actually gone up like minimum price. I saw on TCG was like $330 for a heavy plate card. Mm -hmm. So within the span of one month, it's gone up a hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, that is not bad at all. You know, when it comes to investing in some of these cards and when people ask if it's like truly an investment, yeah, like with some of these magic cards that are reserve list, they're not printing them again, right? So if they're staples and different types of sets, it's going to go up in price. And that's one of those cards that had only been printed in that particular set. It doesn't have three or four sets that's been printed in. So there's less copies around and I'm pretty happy with that one. Uh, so, you know, and I'm trying to not use any of like my own hard earned money. It's more like, okay, credit card reward money store credit I got from selling some stuff, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So yeah, cause it gets pricey after a while. Um, all right. And what else did I have? Uh, I guess we could talk really quick on the drafting. Cause that was, that was a lot of fun into yeah. like currently playing. Uh, so we actually drafted uh, a set of infinity the other night with some of our friends and we had six guys at the table drafting this goofy ass set, dude. It, it was fun. So I don't know if you got too much wind of what I was doing, but I basically made a red white deck that relied on a lot of tokens and rolling. Uh, so I had things that like kind of worked off each other where if I rolled a dice, I got an extra token. If I uh, rolled a dice, I was able to add plus one plus one counters to my creature or uh, rolling dice would give me uh, extra mana, things of it, that nature. So it was like there was always something dealing with dice um, that would allow me like I had dice that would allow me to like ping my opponent's creature for one if I rolled a dice that term. So things like that. And it was just, it was nice to be able to like, and then I had some control too. Like I had the one card that I had to put on my head and I couldn't move it from my head to mm -hmm. be able to exile it. So I had like, you know, kind of a pinpointed certain cards that I wanted to obviously destroy while you we were playing. And um, yeah, I was able to, I ran over Zach uh, and then I beat Sergio in, in two out of three as well. And, um, and then obviously Rob decided, you know, we were just like, hey, it's getting kind of late. Let's just coin yeah. flip it. And he's like, no, nah, if you win, then you take the box topper type of deals. So uh, it was fun, dude. I, I had a lot of fun with that set. I liked the attractions that are in there and mm -hmm. kind of the quirkiness tied to that. And of course, you know, like the card names are always funny. Like I had the uh, I think I had the Swiss family Goblinson, I think yeah. was one of my cards. Uh, and then I had like MTG T-shirt or something and Basically, it was like, if you're wearing anything that's MTG related, I'm like, I have a tattoo. I get an extra dice, you know, that mm -hmm. type of stuff. So it was fun. It was fun set. Yeah, I had, um, I drafted pretty much an all black deck, except for I had two of this like black red chick and one of this black blue, but I didn't actually get 
any of those cards, so it didn't ever even matter. Um, but mine was mostly just attractions. I was just trying to get as many good attractions as I could, so I had a bunch of them that were like, uh, your creatures get plus 2-0 until end of turn. Your creature, uh, creature gets a plus 1, plus 1 counter and vigilance until end of turn. So I had like multiples of those. And a bunch of other things. So I was just trying to get that. But I had some guys in there that were pretty good. Like I had this 5-3 that you'd play an attraction when you played him. And if you visited an attraction, he was indestructible. So I had took a couple of those. A couple turn one drops. Like it wasn't really anything all that special. But I just had enough like consistency and like attackers to just kind of push through and do some stuff. Nice. It's going to be fun when we like chaos draft that mm-hmm. down the road. Like I held on to three packs for once. Same. Usually I'll crack them open after we draft something. Uh, but I was like, yeah, you know, this is one that like there's like to use your point, right? There's not a lot of value in this set outside of like maybe a couple cards. So why not? You know, and it'll just kind of add some flavor to what we're doing next time we draft out some cards. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, well, so as far as other things I'm currently playing, my wife and I are still playing Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Um, we are in like the third chapter of the game. It There's a lot of side questing, dude. Like, it's funny because like Tina in the game is very much ADD. Like you can just tell she's all over the place. And the game itself is very much like that. You'll start on one side quest and then it'll start, you know, turn into another side quest and then another side quest. And now you're just like questing like crazy. And then you look at your main quest line, you're like, I haven't done shit. <laughs> like, I've just, I've been going quest to quest. Um, I still kind of hold my opinion on like the loot being way too much. Like, there's just so much loot. And half it's not worth a damn. So we've gotten to the point that when we're looting around, I just tell my wife, like, look, unless it's purple, don't touch it. It's not yeah. even worth looking at. Like, just keep going. Um, we've got purple weapons. If there's a purple weapon that comes up and we like it, then we're good to go. And then what's also kind of interesting is she now that she's played Tiny Tina's Wonderland a few about a month or so now, uh, she's actually really good at first person shooters. Mm-hmm. Never realized it. So it opens us up to like a whole level of play now that we weren't playing before, because it was at a point before where we would I throw games. I'm like, hey, what about this? No, I don't like that viewpoint. I can't play that. Like, that's just not something that's of interest to me. But now having played this and the comfort that she has in those types of games. Now it's going to open us up completely. Like so many things that we can now play uh, that we couldn't before. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then as far as, you know, the overall story, it's hilarious. I mean, there's just so much going for it story wise. Uh, it's not the best game, but it's still pretty fun overall. Mm-hmm. And then uh pal world. I'm actively still building a base, still capturing pals. Uh, we got our first pals that will allow us to fly or getting our harnesses uh, for that. So we're able to explore a lot more of the world. And dude, it is massive. Yeah. I mean, this game is huge. Yeah, there is so much. And there's so many different pals all over the place. They all have their own little things that they can do within the base. So you might have like one particular pal is good at harvesting and um, taking things to boxes, right? Or another pal is good at watering. Or another one is good at... Um, mining for example and so they all have their own thing that they can do on base and you assign them accordingly and then of course you have you know pals coming in and raids and um the overall like syndicate thugs are coming in to raid you and whatnot uh so that's pretty cool and then just like you know in 
Pokemon games. I'll, I'll use a reference there. There are times where you go really any game, I guess you could say you get to a part of the game and you're like, whoa, I'm way too low level for this. Like, there's no way I can progress. So it's kind of cool because like as you get these pals that allow you to fly and you're you know exploring all of this world, there's crap out there that's like going to kill you pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're too low of a level, you're screwed. So, yeah, we're enjoying it. So Justin and I are still playing that one and uh, I'm excited to play more. I think it's a great game and uh, I'm honestly loving the hate. But it's getting from all of these, you know, Pokemon fans and people are saying it's a ripoff of Pokemon. Like, honestly, like those are people that probably aren't sitting back and playing the game and appreciating like what it actually is. Like, is it a soulless take? As I've said in the last episode, absolutely. It's got it pulls so much from different types of games, but it's so much more than just like going around and capturing monsters. Like there's so much more to the game than that. And that's what's great about it. And the fact that all these people are just throwing so much hate towards it and you just know they haven't played it right they'll say oh i played a little bit of it. it's totally pokemon no come on like you dive in this game and it's much much more so yeah. worth the 30 dollars or 25 bucks i spent on it so I, I like it uh and then arenas i'm still playing magic arenas always testing always watching videos for the next hilarious stuff that's happening and um yeah so keeping an eye out on that and doing as much tournaments and things on there as i can to build up my points and get cards for free and not put a damn dollar into it. Your turn. Nice. So uh, this week I actually did have a pickup. I got Lost Odyssey on the Xbox. It's a great Xbox exclusive RPG that came back out for the 360 back in the day. Uh, I really enjoyed the game back in the day. I never finished it because, you know, I am me. So I saw that it was on sale for $8.24. I was like, hell yeah, I could do that. So I got it. Nice. Played like an hour of it and haven't visited again, but I have it now moving forward. Uh, It's always an RPG that stuck out in my mind as something to revisit at some point. So I'm glad to finally have secured that. Uh, That sale will be going on for another week after this podcast comes out so if you're in the market for an rpg on xbox something older uh that's a good deal i've heard nothing but good things about that game and you know i, I picked remember up a when physical, you got it yeah i picked up a physical copy i think it was last year or two years ago no probably longer it was that, a while damn. ago you were at your other house still yeah so it's been about three years since i grabbed it and i think i got mine for like eight or nine bucks too back then mm-hmm. for physical copy so, so good. yeah good deal that's yeah, good stuff that's a good one. Um, Persona 3 Reload came out this week on Game Pass and all other platforms that it's available on. I don't think it's on Switch. It might be on Switch. I don't know. I didn't look. Anyways, so <laughs> anyways, I got it on uh, Game Pass for free, downloaded that, started playing a bit of that just to check it out, compare how that's different because Persona 4 is the only one that I've ever tried to play before. And You know, I've been just kind of going through Game Pass, seeing what's out there, trying different games, seeing what is going to take. So I don't know if Lost Odyssey or Persona 3 Reload are going to wind up being things that I keep coming back to. I do kind of want to push through some more of a Persona. I kind of got myself psyched up to do that secret project that fell through. So I'm thinking, you know, while this is on here, I should definitely take advantage of that time. I've also uh, heard a lot of people talking about Persona 3 lately and i guess it's a good introductory persona game because it's only like i think they said like 30 to 50 hours instead of like persona 4's like 
you know, 60 to 80 hours. And I think Persona 5 is like 100 to 120 hours or something. So it's like, I think this is probably the one that I'll stand the most chance with. And this being like a brand new release take on that, I, I'm going to give it a go, hopefully here. Other than that, um, let's see. I was playing a bit of stuff on my Game Boy, too. I was playing some Kirby's Nightmare in Dreamland and some um, Fire Emblem, the Sacred Stones, I think is what it's called. Hmm. And just, uh, I don't know, I was in the mood for something nostalgic, something on the GBA always makes me feel good in that department. Uh, so I thought I would check those out. Oh, also the Sands of Time for GBA, Prince of Persia. Oh, how was that? Uh, I mean, I only like just kind of booted it up to check it out and see what it was like. And I mean, it's like a side scrolling GBA action platformer. It's supposed to be pretty good. So maybe I'll go through it one day, but just kind of throw in some stuff on the old, uh, you know, preservation machine and <laughs> actively, uh, you know, preserving history. <laughs> I love that take. Yeah, <laughs> it's always so, fun. I mean, that's that's all I've got this week. Um, ready to talk about Sony and their state of play? Did you get a chance to check that out? Yeah, actually, first thing I did this morning is uh, I booted it up on my phone, threw it on the TV with uh, Chromecast and ate breakfast or cooked breakfast and then ate breakfast and watched it. And then my son popped in to watch some as well and sat on my lap and watched State of Play. So his so first I, State of Play. I like that they showed a lot. I thought it was pretty diverse in yeah, what they were was. showing. There were only a few things that really are... It, even something I'm interested in or really looking towards. So a lot of it kind of passed me by, but I think that it was a respectable showing. And I think most people kind of on a letter grade have been saying it's like a pretty solid B for a presentation. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, so in terms of the, the games that they showed, I would personally put it more like a C in in what i saw but i can understand why it's a b and this is more so based on like what i'm interested in right yeah so you know i'll just i'll run through the few that i found interesting so death stranding 2 i thought looked pretty cool now obviously i haven't beat death stranding 1 haven't even played it but seeing death stranding 2 kind of got me hyped to play one actually like i saw i'm like man like this actually looks really good i would want to play this game but i'm not going to play it unless i know the full story for number one right i mean even then, I don't think it'll help you too much. But yeah, probably. Me won't. and Bree never Kojima. finished the first one, but we definitely want to go back. I, I really thought that this trailer was like the the one that probably saved the show and made it like kind of jump up in people's minds a bit. But when you just like isolate it out, it's like a ten minute trailer. It's got like so much yeah. going on. I was like, what is even happening? Well, there was like three or four games that took like the bulk of the time from this whole thing. And that was one of them that took the most. And the one that I'm actually very interested in is stellar blade. That really, that really caught my attention. Um, And so as we're watching, my wife is like, can they make video games without skimpy clothing on women? I'm like, well, if you watch like the trailers and what they're showing, she's actually dressed in different outfits, which leads me to believe that the skimpy clothing and leather and all that is, the first go around to try and get your attention and then knowing that there's probably like dress mods and things that you could do as well. 
Uh, but that game looked really cool and that's getting released uh, April 26. So I, I've already got that marked down for about, like one, I, I liked it. I don't know. It, it just reminded me so much of looking at like near automata, but yeah, I, can I see don't that. know. I mean, I know it's not the same or, or anything like that, but it's just like, that was a game that I really wanted to play and I totally missed on. So I just can't imagine this is going to be a game I ever actually get yeah. around to checking out. You know, I have it right. Automata. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So this one definitely caught my attention. It's on a PS five as well as PC. I imagine it'll be on Xbox at some point too. Uh, and then the other one that got my attention was rise of Ronin. Mm. Rightfully so. Um, that to me was definitely a blend of Sekido and Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, really kind of had some vibes of Tenshu going for it. So yeah, I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. And then the other one that kind of caught my attention is Dragon's Dogma 2. I never played number one. I know Dragon's Dogma is a very long video game, but dude, that game looks solid. Like yeah. my wife actually paused what she was doing and stepped over. She's like, what game is that? You know, yeah, that like, one just is totally be... got her attention pretty big I, I know a lot of people are really anticipating that one and that one's coming out you know in a month and a half mm-hmm. uh, so and then, we won't have too much longer to wait on that yeah and then the other thing that caught my attention but at the same time did not and i'll, I'll speak to one other thing after this sorry uh judas so judas basically is bioshock like yeah, as bioshock. i'm watching i'm like it's bioshock so i mean i don't know if it's i know it says like uh you know, it's by the creators of Bioshock, but as far as like it being part of that exact same world, I haven't looked too much into it, but to me, it's, it's like the creators don't work for the studio. Don't have the license. Yeah. So they made their own license magic in one hand and a gun in the other. So they could just make more Bioshock and call it something else. Yeah. I think that it'll be, you know, I, I always really liked all the Bioshock games. So I'm hoping that it'll be, you know, really able to, give us more of that gameplay that I like, but maybe kind of give it a fresh take so they don't have to be like, oh, well, there's multiple universes. And like it kept that story of Bioshock really kept escalating and it came out really very interesting in the end and all of the you know implications of the multiple worlds and everything was really awesome. But I think not having to have all that baggage and be in that same world again will be a lot more helpful when you can just kind of move on. Well, we'll see. I mean, they may pull a lot of references to that to make it like one of those spiritual successor type deals. And, you know, like I said, as I was watching, I'm like, this is pretty much Bioshock. Mm -hmm. And like, if you're a fan of Bioshock, you're going to love this. But if you're kind of like, whatever, then, you know, it might not be the game for you. And sorry, the last thing that I had here, is the uh, Kojima project. So action espionage project that he's uh, uh, working on right now. And the thing that really just kind of caught my attention and like working on yet, not working on yet. Yeah. It's after death stranding star. So what caught my attention though, is the transcendence or transcending barriers between film and video games. And so that kind of reminded me of like games that are on Netflix or other types of games where it's like the decision based, like I forget the name of that movie, that they had on Netflix where you could yeah. choose certain things to have. Yeah. Bandersnatch. So I almost think given they were like, yeah, we, uh, cause Sony works on music and Sony works on games and Sony works on movies. 
all of those things and trying to bridge those barriers together, I can almost see that being like Kojima's Bandersnatch. Like, that's what I think is going to happen here. That's just my like out of the box prediction, just based on the limited information that we've been provided here. I could totally see that happening. Like even something released in theaters where it's just some crazy, like they're handing out controls or something. I don't know. And you're going based off of the general consensus of theater goers to determine what's going to happen to characters in the movie type of thing. Like I could see something crazy like that happening uh, down the road. I I think it's going to be a little more, um, I don't know, straightforward than that. I just imagine them coming out with a, a game that launches alongside of a film and has a soundtrack and all three of those things combined together in a way to give you more of a story than just one aspect individually. Cause like with all the focus on trying to get gaming IP into theaters and turn that into money now, trying to do like some kind of simultaneous release of like a game and a movie that are a part of the same universe uh, I think would be pretty next level Kojima thing and something that he could realistically probably only do with Microsoft but it's just crazy like he's got Death Stranding 2 he's got this we know he talked about that OB thing or OD or whatever it was uh, at the Game Awards plus there's another project that he's working on exclusively just with Microsoft so how how many things is Kojima doing right now? Too is many. He, is he going to be able to balance all these out? Like, is he going to stretch himself too thin? Is all this going to, you know, come to fruition and be something really great? Like, I mean, Death Stranding has a lot of hype around it. And a lot of people are very, you know, into Death Stranding. But at the same time, it's still just like a delivery game (laughs) in a lot of ways. And a lot of people bounce off of it. And I just don't know how many of those kind of like lukewarm, weird hits do you get to make? So as I was listening to the trailer, by the way, for Death Stranding, at some point, the character for what is it? The drawbridge or the bridge, whatever they call themselves now in the game. She's like, oh, yeah, you uh you know, with your work and what you've done, it was able to like save America. And at the time he's got like a package on his back or something. I'm like, so what you're saying is UPS saved America. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I got a good laugh out of that while watching, but yeah, I think overall it was some decent games. I wouldn't put it there as their best state of play, but they are also going to be doing another state of play here. Um, as of the time of this recording two days ago, but it'll be technically, I think tomorrow, if you're listening to it on a Monday, uh, so February 6th, you're supposed to be doing a very like in-depth review of the new Final Fantasy VII that's coming out. Mm, yeah, so, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so keep an eye on that. Uh, all right. Well, let's dive into our other discussions of a day. Uh, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. This week, uh, Microsoft doesn't think you need an Xbox. Uh, meanwhile, Sony thinks they can sell you another PlayStation Portable, but like for real this time. Um Pal Worlds had some serious success, but serious success comes with a pretty big price tag. So we'll talk about that. And then finally, we'll wrap up with uh, Silent Hill, and it might suffer its own cost as poor scores from its most recent title may threaten the rest of the franchise. 
All right. Off, John. All right. Let's uh, kick it off. So Microsoft says you don't need to buy an Xbox. So uh, people aren't. And this is Paul Tassi at Forbes. So really in the grand scheme of this, uh, the CEO uh, basically says, yeah, people, we're going to be seeing a negative year over year in terms of Xbox purchases. So they had bad sales last year and are anticipating even worse sales moving forward on that. And uh, they also reference, um, you know, some other comments that were made by executives uh, over the last few years that Microsoft isn't in the business of trying to outsell Sony. They're not in the business of outselling Nintendo. What they truly care about is getting games in the hands of consumers. And we're kind of seeing that, right? They're buying all these different companies and that's the direction that they're going. And I think it'll, it continues to prove my possible theory here of it being a last, last Xbox console. I know there's plans on another one for next generation. Things can change though. If there's no money coming forward, if they are not making the type of revenue they think they should be making with an Xbox, and they think that there's other modalities that they can get games in your hands, they're going to do it, right? That's what Microsoft does. They're a software company. We've talked about it before. So they're consistently saying, hey, look, you can buy the game on PC. You don't need an Xbox. We're not selling them very well anyways. There's lots of ways to play, right? And so because of that, the Xbox console sales are suffering. And it looks terrible on paper when you see like, you know, Sony is outselling Xbox, but at the same time, Microsoft's also kind of like not too public about everything, which is kind of interesting. They're not really updating their sales figures that frequently. Uh, even Game Pass, I think it references that Game Pass hasn't technically had an updated subscription figure for the last like two years, which I think is false because I want to say we talked about it and they've also referenced it too, but I'm just going to kind of state that up front. Mm. So I don't know. What, what's your opinion? I mean, I think this is kind of straightforward, right? In what their strategy is. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot of this to death before Xbox believes in Game Pass. That's where they believe their future is. They want Game Pass on as many places as possible. And likely, you know, they're going to get away from selling you the box and just become a giant third party publisher slash streaming service. And that's probably where the future is. I think that in all likelihood, there will be one more console generation just so that they can really spend the time to get the streaming uh, ironed out more so on the other end of the tech side. Cause like for now they can produce an Xbox that's going to give their games the best look possible and they can do the best they can with streaming based on current technology. But if they can buy an extra five years to not have to have that baseline Xbox where you as a power user can get the best experience. But in five years from now, if they can just stream to a TV and it'll be flawless, you know, it'll be worth biding that extra time. If they're not really worried about how many they're selling in total and it's more of just to like save face, have that spot, at least stay competing I think it would be worthwhile um, because if you just stop selling a console while your competitors are selling a console, I mean, you give away a hundred percent of that business that you don't fight for. So there's, there's a lot here that is trying to say something, but I think we've already talked about it and it's really not anything new to us. Or if you've been listening to us for any long time, because Microsoft is doing what they want to do and they're not worried about it. So, I mean, everything must be according to plan for them. 
Yeah, they're not. I mean, they're not going anywhere. We already know that their console might go somewhere. But as far as the Xbox division and Game Pass and all that, that's not going anywhere any anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, this just kind of solidifies it in my view and and that they they have their eyes set on the future, not the present. So next piece here is uh, Sony has a new PlayStation handheld console in development. At least that's what a report claims. And this is Mike Straw at Insider Gaming. Uh, so given the success of, and I mean, this is probably being developed well in advance, but given success of a PlayStation portal, uh, that they released. I think that's what it's called, right? Portal. Yeah. yeah I, I don't, I don't want one. So it's not on my mind too often. Uh, but given the success of seeing that for a device, that's literally just streaming games from a console onto a device or handheld. Uh, it makes sense, right? If, if that was in development after the success of this portal, uh, handheld, and, uh, it's supposed to be backwards compatible with PS4 and PS5, or at least support PS4 and PS5 based games. And it's going to be using one of, uh, AMD's, uh, I guess higher APUs, I think is what I read on there. And it's supposed to be, you know, a handheld console. That's what they're looking at. Honestly, I think too little too late at this point, like unless this is going to be a complimentary piece of a PS5, you know, which Six at this point it doesn't point. or PS6. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't make sense actually from a PS5 standpoint because they released a portal, right? Like why do you need to have some sort of handheld? And there's other ways to play portably on PlayStation. You know, you don't, you can do it on your phone. You don't necessarily need a special device or handheld to do this. Now, if it's exclusive games on that, I think that's going to hurt them too, because then you start looking at what their main competition is, and that's a switch or to switch to in the future. That's going to have the ability to just play at home and it's going to have the ability to play handheld most likely as well. And it's not going to have two different types of software. Now, if it's digital only, maybe there's that, you know, that can be okay if you have a digital only console and then have the ability to kind of fluctuate between your, your home console and, and on the go. But again, I think, I think it's really too little too late for Sony at this point to jump back into the handheld market. They honestly, Vita was a great console. I know you have one. It's severely underrated. And I think if they would have done better marketing back then, they might've had a better grasp on the handheld market, but they kind of shot themselves in the foot and Nintendo kind of has that at hand now, you know, I just don't see them jumping back in and being successful with it. Yeah. I think that the last time Sony tried this, the only competition was Nintendo. Now with the steam deck and the rog ally and all these others that are popping up constantly, like every few months, there's a new company trying to breach into the, you know, PC gaming, uh, form factor, and that market is really becoming saturated. And I mean, a lot of those are pricey units. So maybe Sony has the ability to come in, undercut some of that, you know, kind of build it a little bit cheaper. Um, you know, maybe take some more of a loss on the console to push sales of software. I mean, these are all traditional console manufacturer tactics, but I'm with you. I think that with all that competition and them already being like, Hey, we're going to pretend like we're going to make a portable PlayStation, but it's not really going to be a portable PlayStation. I just don't see enough people really buying in to what they would actually produce because most of these other companies are like an actual portable PC. So you have access to your steam library. You can get game pass. You know, there's lots of different options for sideloading things on there. 
But if Sony was going to sell you something, it would be really locked down. All you would have access to would be PlayStation titles that you could, you know, in theory, get a Steam Deck and buy the PC release of those titles and be fine. So there's just not much in here for Sony to really gain. And I feel like they're already kind of struggling to support the PSVR 2 at this point with anything meaningful from a first party perspective. So if this is just going to be a device that can play your old PlayStation games, like nobody wants a new device from Sony to play their old PlayStation games. They want something that they can play their new stuff on. And if it's not going to keep up with the PS six, there's no, nobody's going to want this. Yeah, I will. But you know, <laughs> yeah, you will. Cause you're, you play on the go, but yeah, <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm, I totally would be on to. that. I like the yeah. idea of it. Yeah, you play occasionally. You might put in 10, 15 minutes and then put it down. Yeah. Speaking of which, how's your uh, um, your play date? Oh, it's right here in my case. Oh, staring okay. at it. It's yeah, curious. I think uh, that's another thing, too, with like this for Sony. I think that as as people realize that, you know, mobile is kind of the future and getting away from any kind of proprietary console device. Sony has really messed around with the mobile phone market for a long time. There are a lot of companies that are having success with making gaming mobile phones, like just make a PlayStation phone. That's like a souped up gaming phone and sell that for a thousand dollars. People will buy that more than buying you know, a PS Vita 2.5 that runs your PlayStation 5 games, but not as well because it can't handle ray tracing and it only has a two-hour battery life, just make a good phone. Yeah, and then on top of that, you could sell accessories for like extra battery life and things of that nature, yeah. cases that provide, you know, double the amount of battery life. They so that, that way when you run out. thing yeah. that goes on all the phones, like make a DualShock 5 or a DualSense one that has like, all the extra tech built into it. That's like an upgraded version of that jawbone thing. Yeah. You'd think that'd be a direction I should go, but, and you've been saying that for a while now, but you yep. know, I just, who knows? Give me a maybe, call, Sony. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's your cell phone. Come to fruition. Maybe Sony execs listen to our podcast. Right. <laughs> one, one would hope. Okay. Uh, actually I would hope not. Cause we'd probably get <laughs> shut down pretty quickly. Right. Shit. We talk, um, so like I was just telling somebody the other day, I'm like, I'm never getting a job at Nintendo. It's just never going to happen. <laughs> like just I get hired and then the next day they're like, yeah, we're going to let you go. <laughs> like you talk way too much crap in the, in the past. John, our prices are our concern. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next thing here is Power World's uh, dev seat. Well, okay, Power World Dev CEO, I read that wrong at first. Uh, so he jokes that the server fees could bankrupt the studio after it spends $478,000 to never let the service go down no matter what. Uh, and so this is Jordan Gerblick at GamesRadar. Uh, so yeah, basically what they've done is they're going to be spending about $6 million a year to maintain the servers on top of the fact that Microsoft is also going to have dedicated servers for the game too. Uh, I don't know what the current figures are as of this recording, but I know it's over 8 million people have played this game now or own this no, game. So there's 19 million players. There's over 12 million sales on Steam. There you go. And we don't really know about Microsoft because there's like 
there's probably some sales, but there's also Game Pass. So like, well, I mean, you could figure if there's been 12 million sales on Steam, then it's yeah, and you have 19 million players. With. You've got about 7 million on Xbox as well. Yeah. Right. That's not including if they decide to go to Sony because it's not it's a time. I don't even think it's a timed exclusive. I think they just kind of helped and it will be in development down the road for other consoles. As yeah, far as I know. yeah, more than likely. So, I mean, this game has been a huge success. Uh happy to be playing this one it's really cool uh but basically to be able to run all of those people playing this game you have to have some damn good servers and that's what they're doing they're putting uh that money down and investing and making sure that those servers don't go down now i think i the reason i sent this to you is because i think it's pretty cool to kind of talk about the fact that like when you consider games and you're like oh yeah that's my favorite game but why did they stop supporting it why is it gone this is one of the reasons, right? There's costs that are outside of the, hey, we just made this game and now we got to make all of our money back with sales. And then after that, we have to continually support the game, which means developers need to get paid. We have to have servers and there's a fee. Obviously, it's tied to servers when it comes to PC. So when you kind of think, oh, yeah, this game is fantastic, but it's only got 5000 people playing it. There's a reason games like that over time have either bad servers network issues like all these other things tied to it, it's because there's not enough players obviously playing not enough people buying it and that's one of the reasons i think we start seeing things like microtransactions and things of that nature because of that continued support that's needed but the lack of sales over time so i can see why these companies do it um the microtransactions and such and then obviously seeing a ridiculous cost like this 478k a month to keep servers up yeah that's insane dude and that's I mean, probably not even like that might be on the high end actually yeah, they said that there is, uh, which are up, let's see, uh, Misobi posted any case this month, which are up 359%. So, I mean, I'm guessing that's, he's just talking about their, their expenses are up because now they're up and running and having to pay for all those costs. But yeah, $478,000 a month. I mean, that seems like a ton of money and it is a ton of money. But like we were talking about, if we can confirm 12 million sales on Steam, at 30 bucks a pop they're good they got yeah i mean they could literally like if they didn't get paid out from now on based on the sales that we have at 12 million plus 30 bucks a pop they could probably continually run this game at 6 million a year for the next like 30 years and Mm -hmm. be okay like if there was no other expenses so they're solid and one other piece tied to the revenue aspect of this i was reading um some twitter which is where twitter's like a cancer (laughs) social media is ridiculous um but in in watching or, or reading some of the comments on there, people are talking about like Nintendo and a possible lawsuit and all these other things. These guys can fight now. Yeah. Like if Nintendo did have a case, it's going to be very, very expensive to have a case against these guys. And there's already not really a case anyways, um, because the argument can be, can be made. You didn't do anything when you first saw it several years ago. Why is it an issue now? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, why are you waiting until after release? You could have shut it down. You didn't. Clearly, there was an issue. So there's no case in that regard. But they've made a lot of money. So there's a lot of things, I think, that are coming for this game. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. I could see long-term support for this. It's exciting, actually. Like, this is what we've all wanted for this type of game with monster capturing and whatnot. And it's finally here. And people are enjoying it. And um, I'm happy to see a lot of happy gamers. So... All right. And then our last thing here, we said that we would talk about the new Silent Hill game and its bad reviews. Uh, So uh, new Silent Hill game 
getting bad reviews. And this, this is, is Dalton Cooper at Game Rant. What were you saying? I said, this is so funny because John just messaged me yesterday. He was like, hey, this game's free. We should do it for the podcast. And it's like, well, it's only on PS5. So it's like, okay, well, I guess we'll wait until next time. And it's like, all right, well, maybe, maybe not now. Who knows? No, no. See, Ryan, here's the thing, though. It's automatically deflated because it's free. So like you can't get any worse, um, but it's more of like, is your time inflated? Yeah. You know? Is your time deflated by playing this game? Yeah, it's 50 percent. Like it's I think a Metacritic of 50 right now. Obviously, it probably won't go that much higher, uh, but I could see it going a little higher, maybe like 60 out of 100 on Metacritic. Um, haven't played it yet, but I mean, it's a Silent Hill game, right? There's got to be some fun elements to it. Uh, they say things like the chase scenes are bad and it's too short of a game and it's a free game. Like, come on. Well, so, so it was good enough that they realized they couldn't make any money off of it. So they might as well get it out there. And I mean, Silent Hill. So what I kind of wrote down here. So Silent Hill has a lot of fans. It's got a lot of games. And I don't think that a lot of those fans are fans of a lot of those games. I think that it's one of those series that has a bunch of duds in it. And so this is just one more dud for the dud pile. But well, eventually that does kind of spoil a reputation. Like if they just kept making bad Resident Evil games, I mean, Resident Evil 5 and 6, I, I liked 5 and 6, I just kind of, listened to everybody and bounced off of and you know didn't really give it its fair shot but they really turned things around with seven and stuff but if they kept going down that route would we be talking about them the way that we're talking about silent hill now like people so excited for silent hill 2 remake but how many silent hills games have there been since then that nobody's really like been able to talk up or get new you know active people interested to really pick up the the genre or the i don't know yeah one once they hit silent hill on ps3 i think that's where it kind of started going a little downhill and then we didn't have one on ps4 to my i don't think we did um so they skipped the whole console generation which is interesting i'm pretty sure that they skipped the whole console generation um and now we've got this one coming out on current gen consoles in silent hill 2 and then what was just released i was telling my wife while we were watching this particular trailer I was like, I'm pretty sure this is only being released as a free game for hype purposes. So you have Silent Hill 2 coming. This is a way to like an easy introduction for some people who maybe haven't played the game. Don't have knowledge as to, you know, what Silent Hill is about. They maybe look at this and they say, oh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Oh, Silent Hill 2 is coming out, too. I'm a little more excited to play something like that. And on top of that, if it's a really bad game, you know. Maybe those people are going to be told, no, two is much better. You got to play two. And it kind of hypes them up in that respect as well. Oh, were you just confirming on the PS4? Yeah, I don't see anything. Yeah, I don't think anything was released. I know like. I mean, Silent Hills was supposed to be a thing. Yeah, the PT. Whatever happened. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's free. Give it a shot. If you're a fan of Silent Hills or horror games in general, download it. You're not going to lose any money. You know, you're not, you might lose some time of your life, but it's two hours. You've probably watched shittier movies than that. So it's worth trying at least. All right, let's dive into our inflation deflation of the week. So Spyro reignited trilogy developed by toys for Bob published by Activision directed by Dan Neal released in November of 2018. It's a platforming game and it has a reception at eight out of 10. 
Ryan, did you have a synopsis or no? Uh, no, I didn't write down a synopsis. I missed that part. All good. If you if you're a gamer of many years, you've played Spyro. You know, it's a dragon. He runs around. He shoots fireballs. He can't fly at first, and then you can start flying later on. And he gets followed by a dragonfly named Spark as you go to collect gems throughout various worlds uh, to help the dragons. So there you go. Free all the dragons. Stop. Is it Nasty Nork in the first one here? Uh, I think. I don't remember. I know it's Ripto in the second one. Yeah, I think it's Nasty yeah. Nork. Yeah. And then, of course, the game has a lot of cool things. It's got, like, mini games throughout. You have, like this is always my favorite, like going flying through different hoops and such to get like different points and, um, you know, blasting different creatures with fire as you're kind of flying around and having these like time trial, you know, type of scenarios that are played out. And then there's a lot of quirky, fun comments that are made throughout the game as well. So getting into the game though, like this particular version, graphically it's fantastic i mean the reason it has such high reviews first off it was a great game when it came out on playstation one it was fantastic and the remake does does old games a lot of justice it's pretty much like a one-to-one almost a couple graphical like screen tears and things of that nature that you're going to get with modern gen consoles like you would back then too um but it holds true like the dialogue is there the gameplay is the same it feels great it looks great I mean, this is how you do a remake. Yeah, not, this is, you know, like this is how it's done for sure. This is one of the best ones for sure. I mean, and all the extra effort they put into like, you know, updating the characters and like the dragons and just the worlds, like kind of reimagining like what the creators originally intended for these spaces to be like, but they were so limited in what they could actually you know, make them look like and now seeing it next to each other, it's just such a gorgeous looking game. And it's just like really one of the best experiences of having, you know, those childhood memories of playing the game and then just have them be so elevated. And I feel like in a lot of games, you know, I don't appreciate it as much as I do with this one, probably just because of how much time I spent with the original Spyro games. Like they were not games that I owned, but they were games that my friends own and games that I rented a lot. And I think I had a lot more experience with two and three than the first Spyro. But I mean, Spyro has always been, uh, you know, an iconic PlayStation character. Uh, I think that this, <laughs> this is going to be another one of those interesting things where it's like, okay, publisher Activision, who's got Activision now, are we going to get a Spyro on the Xbox? <laughs> is that going to be well, well, that's what I had brought up during the whole like conversation about Microsoft acquiring Activision, that it wasn't all about, you know, call of duty. I mean, you've got crash bandicoot, you've got Spyro, I mean, these are two great franchises with a lot of history behind them, spe- specifically tied to Sony, uh, those franchises. And they're technically Xbox exclusive if they want them to be. So, yeah. Uh, let's look at the uh, brass tax, though. So a complete in-box copy is going to run you $13.75. Peaked at $37 in November of 2018, but that makes sense given that it was 40 bucks at release. Uh, price is trending up though for that game, rightfully so. A loose copy will run you thirteen sixty two. It peaked at thirty five dollars in November of twenty eighteen. Again, 
just when it came out that's still trending up and then uh digital consoles 40 bucks right now uh but it is on sale at 13.99 on xbox play and playstation 15.99 on switch uh digital pc so steam it's going to be 39.99 and then walmart has an advertised price right now of 20 bucks that all said i actually remember walmart was liquidating copies of this game i picked up like 15 copies i think oh really five dollars a piece oh wow and then sold them for like 20 so probably can't get that 1993 walmart price in store anymore that's probably an online thing no i don't see it on there i I might i probably exaggerate i think it was 10 copies i don't know but i I bought quite a few copies of this game along with lion king and a few others uh but yeah it was like five bucks back then twenty dollars advertised would probably be online and i don't even know if you double check that one if it's like a third-party seller or if it's sold by walmart uh that would also be a, a difference maker there as well but mm-hmm. at 1375, in my opinion, you're getting three great games uh, for 1375. Let's just say it, it's let's just say it's 20 bucks, right? I still think that it's worth it at $20. I would say that this game is deflated. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was absolutely worth it. Brand new at $40. So anything, anything below 40. Steel, yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. You're getting v- three very, very well-made reignited games and they just don't i don't feel like they make this anymore you know just kind of this like open area collect-a-thon you know action platformer like this i mean do they do like ukulele just came out during the ps4 and that was like six years ago yeah but i'm just saying like they made that they make games like this we just don't check them out that often yeah, I guess not. I just I this was like the type of game back in the day. I mean, with this and Crash and everything. And I feel like they made great remasters of both of those. But like, I want to see more. I want to see actually Hat in Time. Me. I mean, Hat in Time's old as well. But That's Hat in Time old. is yeah. Hat in Time's a collectathon. Yeah, but I'm saying now. Like, I mean, when, when's the last time you saw a state of play where it's like, all right, Sony's working on this, you know, new third person collect-a-thon adventure game like we haven't seen that i mean it's sonic shadow generations count that's another remake okay true <laughs> well either way there's games out there ryan we will find them and we will talk about them on this podcast we will that's a yeah. threat it sure or a very strong suggestion <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this has been episode 272 of the Game Flayers podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.